And so, so today we're talking about one flesh. And so what I've heard over the past couple of years is that one's outgrowing the other and the, all these complaints and this yang yang that goes on between married couples. And what I've seen is the enemy comes and he wants to get in the middle of your marriage. He wants, to, he wants to get a little crack, a little crevice, and he wants to start to get a little wedge going, and he wants to get in the middle of your marriage because why? What is his sole purpose? The Bible tells us to kill, steal, and destroy, right? He wants to kill your relationship. He wants to steal the future that you can have together by doing it God's way, and then he wants to destroy your lives together. That's what he wants. That's the only thing he wants, and he's relentless, but God's word is true, and God's way is perfect. Amen? So this morning, I want to take off. But before I actually get into a bunch of scripture and things like that, I'm not going to give you a whole lot of scripture today. But what I'm going to give you is Cheryl and I's story. And how many of you say, oh, I can come to church not to hear no, no, no scripture? Let me tell you something about your story. Your story is the result of God's word. So when you tell your story, you're preaching God's word. It just may not have a verse and a number to it, right? But it's your story. So we're going to share our story. And so I, I, I went to Cheryl a couple, of like last week or so, and I said, baby, I, said, I just feel like I need to preach this message. And I, I kind of told her what it was all about. I said, I'm just, I'm, I'm like, my attitude this morning is just kind of enough is enough. We're going to deal with it. And, she was, and so I told her what I wanted to talk about. And she said, well, baby, that's our story. And I'd forgotten that that was our story. And so I said, great. So we're going to share our story. So let me start by just sharing a little bit. And so what's going to happen is, is I'm going to share my side or my viewpoint from our story. And then Cheryl's going to share what it looked like from her side so that you can get both sides of the story this morning on what it looked like when one thought he was outgrowing the other one. Okay? Is that all right? I was going to do it anyway. So, so this is how it all started. Cheryl and I met each other at, at McNeese. We were, we were kind of young, and I was slim. Just to get the record straight, she saw my legs. I had a pair of shorts on. Back in my day, we used to wear short shorts. Like, because you worked out, and you had these thighs that would, like, pop. And so you'd wear these short shorts. It's like, it like a mating call. For, and you'd pop your thighs, and them girls would be like. And so I was popping my thighs, and I was like. I've told this before. Y'all don't think like you heard this first time. And so anyway, we met each other in college. We were both kind of running and wild and doing our own thing. There was drinking. There was drugs. There was all kinds of other stuff going on. And, and we started dating and, and then dated for four years. And um, soon to be 20 years, we've been married. So we've been together almost 20, 24 years. And, and, um, and so we, we started dating, and then we eventually got married. We moved to Franklin, Louisiana, the big city of Franklin. And um, so when we, when we got married, Cheryl was, Cheryl come from the Catholic background. She was born and raised Catholic. Her, her family was Catholic, and, and she was a typical Catholic like you would see today. She wasn't a, a, like a super devout Catholic or anything like that. She was just a typical Catholic that you would see today. I was raised in the Baptist church. I was raised uh, sometimes church three times on Sunday. Uh, very strict, very rule-led, just kind of, I mean, I, I, I shared in the first service, I couldn't even write love letters to girls until high school because my mom would give them, like, the death stare. My mom would go to school. She'd volunteer for, like, the PTAs and all this kind of the booster club, and she'd go to school, and she'd just stare down all the pretty girls. And I, I couldn't get a girl to look at me for nothing. It was like, man, what's wrong with me? And so, anyway, my mom was very strict and very rule-led, and so... I was raised Baptist. We got married, and we moved to Franklin, and then we started going to church. We started going back to my old church, and Cheryl and I had been to each other's churches before, and we, you know, we, there was no big surprises, but we started going to our, the church I grew up in with our best friends, and then my mom and grandma was there, so we had to go to church, and um, so we, we'd go to church, and we're just kind of attending on Sundays. We're still doing all the same things we've always done, drinking, smoking, cussing, all those other things. And we just we'd do that during the week, and then you know it feel good to go to church on Sunday and kind of get a little peace. And then you know Monday comes, you start it all over again. And so we did that. And then one day out of the blue, you know the Baptists they always give a, an altar call or a salvation call at the end of every message. And so like every message, 
And so we're standing there like normal, going through the routine. Yeah, everybody's standing at the head back. All of a sudden, Cheryl just gets out of the aisle, and she walks down the aisle. I'm like, what the heck? Where's she going? And she, she went to the front and gave her life to Jesus. And I just want to be honest with you. Part of me was like, wow, my wife is getting saved. Wow. But the other side of me was going, oh, dang. Now she's going to want to change everything. Oh, man. I wish you would have talked about this. I could have talked her out of it. You know, all these other, I had all these mixed emotions going on. And so that's kind of how we got started. And then, and then what happened was, is over time, Cheryl started to change. Cheryl quit cussing as much. Now, her brother's here today, and I could get him to testify, but that girl could cuss. And I'm not bragging on her, but I'm just telling you, I'm just trying to show you what God delivered her from. Okay, you got to know, the Cheryl you see today is not the girl I married. Okay, the girl today is, was way above my class when it was time to get married. She could cuss. I'm not, I remember forgetting my buddy come up to me one time. He said, dude, that girl can cuss. I said, I know her. <laughs> She's young and dumb, didn't know no better. <laughs> And so God's touched her lips, and she quit cussing. And so, uh, as much. And so, <laughs> just joking. Uh, so anyway, so she stopped. She just started to change. And I'm like, man, what's up with this? You know, because I kind of knew the routine. You know, you kind of get right for a little while, and then you get tired of it, and you kind of slip back into your old ways, right? How many of you have ever done that before? And, that, and so, that was, so that's what I was expecting out of her, but it never changed. She, she just continued to just change. And then it was like she didn't want to listen to the music I listened to anymore. I'm like, what's up with that? She didn't like rap music no more. How many of you like rap music? Come on. Hey, it's your turn. Y'all don't like rap music. So we, we started attending church, and we, we became faithful at church, and then, and then sooner or later it came to a point where something was going to have to change. And so I got on board. I got back into what I used to know. And so my, my, I guess my point to this part of the story was is that up to this point, I was born and raised in the church, force-fed the word of God from a, from a child. I mean, everything the Baptist church did in my day was just force feed the word of God to you until you grew up. And so when you grew up, you were really just force fed the word of God. Cheryl was raised Catholic, and unfortunately, they don't do that as much. And so when Cheryl gave her life to Jesus, she was taking off from the beginning. When I came back to Jesus, I was taking off from where I left off. But this was our new life together. You follow me? And so that's where we were. So I'm going to let Cheryl share a little bit of what her experience yeah, so we get married, and um, we started attending church and that regularly. And four months after we were married is when I, I gave my life to Christ and was baptized and all that stuff. And then it was all new. And I learned so much. I mean, it's stuff that I've never learned before. I was just, but there was something missing because I didn't understand things the way he understood things. So I felt kind of like, oh, what am I going to do? I don't understand things. And so it was kind of scary. I remember being scared. And um, I remember feeling intimidated. And uh, I remember actually before we were married, when we were dating, um, his mama was sick with cancer. And I remember he's like, well, let's pray. And I go, okay. <laughs> and so he prays. And I go, wow. That's, I'm thinking to myself, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> you know? And he goes, you pray. And I go, uh-uh. And he goes, why don't you want to pray? He's like, I was like, if it ain't our Father, Hail Mary. You know, I just didn't know how to speak to God. You know, he's like, well, just speak. And I go, how do you do that? So he helped me along the way. But after I gave my life to Christ, there was really no one. This, I was just clueless to a lot of things. And I was scared and I was nervous. But I was learning a lot of things as well. So um, it was just a different time. But it was, it was good. It was good. So God started changing my want to. You know, I never forget we'd have those conversations. Okay, this is the last time. This is the last time we're going to go out doing this. This is the last time we're going to go out and do this. Third time's a charm. 
just saying. For us, it was. so, um, And that's when God really started moving and changing and, and directing. So, so, so during that time when I decided I needed to change, I needed to get serious and right with God again, I, I jumped into a men's Bible study with another, with my best friend and a guy that was discipling us named Steve. So we would meet every Monday, and I'm a kind of an all-in or all-out kind of guy. So when I went all-in, I just went all-in. And so we quit everything, and we went all-in. And I, I, was, I was memorizing two verses a day, reading my Bible for 30 minutes every day. I was, I was praying on a list that I created every day, just, uh, just going for it. And, and it got to a point where I remember looking at Cheryl and going, thinking this, going, where the heck you at? I mean, I don't see you reading your Bible. And there may have been a few fights where I've said, you don't even read your Bible. And so I was expecting her to do what I was doing, even though not realizing that she was growing in a different way. But I had expectations for her to be doing the things that I was doing, but she just wasn't doing them. You follow me? And so that was the wedge that the enemy got that he started to get in the middle of our marriage. And so I start growing. My spiritual life starts taking off. Cheryl seems to be dormant. But you got to remember, I took off where I left off. She took off from the beginning. And unfortunately, and I want to say this and I want you to hear me. Unfortunately, there was not somebody older who, who answered the call to actually disciple Cheryl. You see, there should have been a lady that said, hey, Cheryl, I see you gave your life to Jesus. Can I meet with you once a week? Would you like to meet and maybe help you work some of these things out? Nobody did. Nobody did. And I look back now, and I'm almost mad because somebody didn't answer the call to make a disciple of somebody else. And so Cheryl was kind of left there. I didn't realize that she was taking off from the beginning. I didn't realize that she was being left behind. I just expected her to get on the bus. I'm like, I'm on the bus. What's keeping you from getting on the bus? And so she never would. So I began to get frustrated with her, and she began to get frustrated with me. And so I want to stop right there because I want to come in here, and I want to show you out of Genesis chapter 2. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2. I want to show you what the Bible says about marriage because I want to show you what it was like from the beginning, what God's original intentions were for us in marriage. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, so the Lord God caused, caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out, took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman which really he probably said, whoa, man. I mean, think about it. This dude's been with animals his whole life. He's been naming animals his whole life. He's the only human on the planet. Think about this. And all of a sudden, he wakes up from a great night's sleep, and there's a woman. Whoa, man. You just got to understand what it was like. I mean, when you read your Bible, you need to put yourself there. I mean, I ought to go crazy. So anyway, so he he says, so watch this, verse 24, this is what God says. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. He takes the two, and he brings them and unites them back into one. That's God's design for marriage. Man, woman, different, separate, he brings them together. And he makes them one. Chew on that. He makes them one. Not two. Not closer. He makes them one. You got to get this. What does the enemy want to come and do? Tear down what God wants to build. Right? He wants to come between. He wants to separate the whole thing. He wants to mess it all up. But that's what God's word says. So God's intentions for you and your spouse is that you become one. Amen? You become one. It's clear? Next time you see your wife, you need to go, whoa, man. I'm telling you, it does something to them. 
So let me give you some things that Cheryl and I, if we could go back 20 years from now, if we could go back and do some things different, here's some things that we would say or do if we could go back. Number one, the first thing I would say to Cheryl if we could go back is don't hold my past against me. Don't hold my past against me. You see, the reality is that Cheryl came into the marriage with her stuff, and I came in with my stuff, different religions, different experiences, different parenting, different discipline, different mistakes. Everything was different about us. So we came in, honestly, warped into mine, both of us. And we both came in with our own expectations of the marriage. She thought it was going to be one way. I thought it was going to be another. But God's joining us together. He's taking the two and making them one. So we came in together, but we both came in with some past, some junk, some baggage. If I could go back, I would say, don't hold my past against me. You know why I would say that? Is because for years, probably 15 years, we've held our past against one another. You want me to show you what it looks like? Let something come up and you start to fight. What are you eventually tempted to say? Something about who they used to be. So you know what you're doing? You're pulling up their rap sheet. And some of your rap sheets go from here to the other side of the street over there. And some of you got these little bitty rap sheets. It don't matter. Everybody's got a rap sheet. But we start to pull up our rap sheets against one another. Oh, yeah? Well, you this. And you this, and you this, and you this, and you this. Oh, yeah, sucker? You all this? And ain't no chips. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, it's like you all this. And so we start to hold our past against one another, which opens the door for the enemy to come in and get us to fight with one another about who we used to be. Not about who we are now. And so he wants us to hold our past against each other, our past mistakes, our past laziness, our past things that we just didn't get right, our failures, our shortcomings. That's what he wants us to do is to hold our past against one another. So if I could go back, I'd say, man, don't hold my past against me. Here's the crazy thing is the longer we hold each other's past against one another, the longer we hold up the growth process. As long as you still got the rap sheet, you're not growing. You see, the reality is, is that when you give your life to Jesus, he gets rid of your rap sheet. Why can't we get rid of it? Why can't I get rid of my own rap sheet? You know, some of us don't have issues forgiving other people. We have issues forgiving ourselves. We still hold our past against ourselves. If we're not careful, we'll, we'll, let, we'll let our past baggage determine our future treasure. As long as we hold the past against one another, we never get to the treasure that God has for us. We've got to learn to, number one, forgive each other and ourselves. And we've got to walk past that. But then you've got to take responsibility for your own baggage. What does that mean, Pastor? That means, number one, number one, I need to accept the fact that I came into this marriage with some junk in my trunk. And it's my responsibility to clean the trunk. Are you following me? How do you clean the trunk, Pastor? You take everything in the trunk, you bring it to Jesus, you let him speak to it, you, for, you ask forgiveness for what you need to ask forgiveness for, and the Bible says that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you of all your sin, so then you let him send it down the drain. Does it make sense? We've got to take responsibility for our past. I've got to own mine. But I was too busy trying to own her past. And she was too busy trying to own my past. We got to learn to forgive one another and let things go. Because that's the only way we're ever going to get anywhere. Amen? So where we're at in the story is Cheryl, Cheryl and I were in a spot. I was growing. She, unfortunately, didn't have somebody to help her grow. And it seemed like she wasn't growing. 
and, and, and it was just, it was kind of crazy. And I remember looking at her and thinking, man, what are you going to do? I mean, are you ever going to get it right with Jesus? I mean, where are you at, girl? I would never say that, but that's how I started to feel in my heart. Oh, she's not as spiritual as me. You know, I go to a Bible study every week. Where's she at? Well, she was taking care of a kid. Eventually two kids and then three kids. And I had something to do with that. Just saying. And so I began to get frustrated with what I thought was her lack of growth. And honestly, I I was excited about what God was doing in my life. I was excited about growing. I would get these things from the Bible. It was like all of a sudden the Bible became alive, and I started just getting stuff out of the Bible. And I would be in the Bible study with the guys, and I would come home, and I'd be like, baby, baby, you got to see this. Girl, you got to, woo, girl, you got to watch this. This is good. And she'd be like, "Mm -hmm." mm-hmm. I'm like, what's up with this? And eventually, I started to feel some resentment and some resistance from her. And I couldn't figure out what the deal was. So I chunked chunked it up as, oh, she's jealous. She's jealous because I'm growing, and she's not. You see where the enemy's going with this? So listen to Cheryl's side. Yeah. (laughs) Probably wanted to really hurt him, (laughs) but I didn't. Um, no, um, yeah, he, he was doing all that stuff and I did become jealous. One, I became jealous of time because I saw it as when he went to Bible study, that was time taken away from me. I didn't see it as time that he's growing and growing spiritually and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, well, if you love me, you'd stay home with me kind of thing on your days off. So it become, and then it became a comparison thing. And then I became angry and aggravated because I didn't understand what was going on. I remember he came home one day and he's like, Steve is going to disciple me. And I knew nothing about discipleship. And I go, what does that mean? What does that mean? And he goes, he's just going to disciple me. And I go, well, Jesus had 12 disciples. That's all I know. (laughs) You know, what does that mean? Like, he's going to be like Jesus to you. You know, I was very smart. I was like, what does that mean? What is he going to do? And he's like, well, he's going to teach me the word. I'm like, okay. And And so then I became bitter and angry and aggravated, and it did become a competition. And then I did get frustrated with him. And when he did want to share things with me, I did become very standoffish. And it's like, you know, good, that's just you and God, you know, because I saw myself apart from it because I had trouble understanding and where he was at. So, yeah, it was pretty rough for a while. So, So we were growing, so the enemy was trying to get between us. And, and there was, it came to a point where I, I almost got to the place where it was like, I'm, 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 not, I'm not even going to tell you what God's telling me no more. I'm not even going to share with you what my spiritual journey is. I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to talk about God to you because it, it, the environment got so hostile that it was like, I can't even bring up God without there being some kind of conflict or some kind of a fight. And so it, it, it became a, a big issue for us. And so I remember having this thought writing this message that God said this in Genesis. He said, I'm taking the two and making them one. If God says that he takes the two and makes them one, and I'm not experiencing the oneness, the one flesh that God's promised to me, if I'm not experiencing that, then there's something wrong. Okay? If God said that we're supposed to be one and it don't feel like we're one, then there's something in between us. We've hit a wall. And so we had to come to a point finally where we realized that there was a wall between us in our spiritual journey. It was a wedge that the enemy used, and he came up between us, and he he built this wall that kept us from enjoying each other spiritually. Everything else was fine physically, emotionally. All those other things were great. But spiritually, there was just this wall. Every time we came to the spiritual issues, there was a wall. There was something going on, something wrong. And eventually we had to come to a place where we had to do something about it. Which brings me to point number two is we got to talk. We got to talk. Yeah, but pastor, you don't know my husband. He can't talk to that man. 
He's hard-headed. Or that woman's hard-headed. It won't ever change. Not if you keep speaking like that. So number two, can we talk? Ephesians 4.15 says, Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ Jesus. We are called and expected to speak the truth to one another. Watch this. In love. So let me ask you a question. When do you work on your marriage? When things are bad or when things are good? It's more peaceful to work on your marriage when things are good, when you like each other. Yeah, but pastor, that's going to start a fight. Not if you handle it right. Yeah, but pastor, we ain't ever got it right. That you keep trying. Take her out to dinner in a, 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 pop, a, a famous restaurant where everybody is full. And then talk about it. <laughs> Let me know how that works for you. But you got to talk about it. Whatever you don't confront in your marriage is going to get infected and it's going to turn into an infection in your marriage and it's going to eventually destroy your marriage. Some of you are, unfortunately, some of you are non-confrontational. You will run from a fight no matter how bad you hurt. You won't say nothing. You won't speak your mind. You won't, you, you won't even show no emotion. You're just like, but on the inside, there's a pit bull going crazy. Watch what happens if you're like that. If you're like that and you won't speak what's on your heart and speak what's on your mind and get that thing out, it gets infected inside of you and it starts right here in your heart. And in your heart, you start to disrespect the person. You start to disrespect the person that you were once madly in love with. It starts out when you start just going like, say that, always say that. But you're thinking, and you're going, God, I wish you would just get it together. It starts in your heart. But just like any good infection, it's not going to stay in your heart. Eventually, it's going to ooze. And it's going to start to leak out. And you know what? Your kids are going to pick up on it. And then your kids are going to start disrespecting one or the other. And before you know it, now you got the kids infected, you're infected, they're infected. We're disrespecting each other simply because I won't sit down and have a conversation about what I'm feeling in my heart. Simply because I won't, I won't take a risk and try to talk about something that we need to talk about. Or simply because I won't keep myself under control enough to let her talk. Because some of you don't create an environment where you can talk. Some of you blow up about everything, and everybody's like, can you talk to them? Hey, baby, boom. Hey, baby, boom. Who wants to talk to that? Right? And so you got you to gotta talk. you got to create an environment where you can talk. You work on the marriage when it's going good. You make more progress that way. Here's another thing is you need to always accept the truth about yourself and never accept a lie about you. The enemy's always lying to you, but occasionally people will lie to you or about you. And Cheryl has a great story about that. I messed up a couple months back, and we're going to be honest and real, and she's going to share the story of what I did. Now, uh, many of you have heard me say, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. And that's the big thing. It's not what you say half the time, it's how you say it. And um, I don't know, a couple months back, I was tired, and he wanted, he said something about doing, I don't remember exactly what it was, and I remember he looked at me, and he got frustrated with me, because I'm like, I, I can't do that, I can't go, I'm tired, whatever, and he just got really mad, and he looked at me, and he goes, I can't believe, he said, he said, I knew you were going to do that, and I was like, how do you know I was going to do that, you didn't know I was tired, but he was like, I knew you were going to do that, he said, and he said something about, like, your daddy was like that. So, you know, you're going to be like that. I knew you were going to do that. And it really hurt, and it really made me mad, but I've learned to walk away. you got to walk away. Yeah, those are fighting words, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so I walked away, and I prayed, you know, because I was like, you know, God, that really hurt. But you know what? That's not the truth. That's not the truth. So I, um, and then I, I prayed that prayer, God, you deal with them. 
You, you deal with them. And so, and he did, but anyway, and me at the same time. So I was able to go back after I got this under control. See, because the old me would have ripped them to shreds, and we would have gotten a fight for like two days. So I walked away, and I was like, you know what, it's okay. So then I was able to think about it and go, you know what, that wasn't the truth, what he said about me. Maybe some of it was, but not all of it. So I went back, and I said, you know, that thing you said about to me really hurt, but that's okay. I said, but that thing that you said about my dad and that kind of stuff, I said, you know what, that's not the truth. That's not who I am. And I just walked away again. The key is walking away, ladies, just saying. <laughs> and so later he came, and he was like, you know what? That's right. You're not like that, and that wasn't the truth. So it's not what I said wasn't wrong. What I said was the truth, but how I said it is what helped. And whether or not he came back or not, it really don't matter because that's on him. And it's kind of like me. If I would have tore him to shreds, that would have been on me, not him. So that's how you handle it and how you talk. So we don't get it right all the time, but we're getting better. Getting better. Better, better. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a temptation. you got to resist the temptation to throw jabs. And, and we're good at throwing jabs. I mean, me and Cheryl's had some good fights. I mean, some, like, some record keepers, man. I mean, like, some throwdown, knockdown, dragouts, and... She actually thought she broke her finger one time. She poked me in the chest. She, she wouldn't admit it, but I saw she hurt herself because she hit these massive pecs that I got. And she went, she, she, was, she, she was trying to get away, and I was trying to finish the fight. And so I'm chasing her outside. She turns around, she goes, boom. And she hit that big old muscle, and she, and she went. She wouldn't admit that she was hurt, but she walked away. I knew I did something. And so... The art is walking away, and that, that's really changed our life, is just the ability to walk away. It's real. It's just so real. But the reality is, is that when we get into fights and we get into differences and those kinds of things, this is the greatest relationship I have on the planet. Nobody knows me like Cheryl does, and nobody knows Cheryl like I do except for God. Right? So, of course, the enemy is going to come and try to tear up the greatest relationship I have on the planet. And of course, it's going to hurt when she says something about me, like, like somebody else could say something about me. It ain't going to mean nearly as much as if she says it about me. So we got to be careful to stop throwing jabs. But then you also got to learn the art of walking away before you say something stupid. Because once you say something stupid, you can't take the words back. I mean, you say something stupid in the middle of a fight and you say, I, don't, I, I didn't mean to say that. It don't matter. <laughs> it's, just, it's already done. So we need to talk. We need to talk. We need to have a conversation about, about our marriage. How's it going? Ask questions about your spiritual life. Share with one another. Encourage one another. Be for one another. Amen? There comes times as a man that Cheryl has to just throw me a bone. When I get it right, she's learned. I'm like a dog. If, if I get it right, give me a treat, baby. I'll do it again. Because what's rewarded is repeated. Right? She, she's learned the art of putting butter on my bread. And it's good. And so we have to learn how to talk. We have to learn how to communicate. So what I didn't realize was that at the time, Cheryl didn't have anybody uh, to grow with. And, and so things were, things she, she didn't seem to be growing. I was growing and, and things were going. And then all of a sudden, I, I meet Pastor Bubba one day. It's about 15, 16 years ago. We meet Pastor Bubba and Tracy kind of fell in love with them, really liked them. And so we would visit from Franklin. We'd come spend the weekend in Fenton with an F. It's a village. I married the prettiest girl from the village. It's a running joke. Anyway, so that was stupid. So anyway, so anyway, we would come to Fenton, and then they were, they were starting the church in Jennings, and so we, I would go to the men's, I'd go to the men's Bible study, or we'd go, when they started the church, we'd start going to the church. And we met Pastor Bubba and them, and then not long after that, we, we got a word from God to move. God spoke to me one day. He said, go find Bubba, ask him what he needs, and help him. Two weeks after God told me that, we put everything up for sale and moved. And our life hasn't been the same. If it wasn't be for that, we wouldn't even be here today. You follow me? And so things just really started to change. 
And for me, I thought I was just, you know, coasting along with God, doing my thing, leading my family. Cheryl's just going to have to catch up, not even realizing what her side of the story was. And so this is the part you really need to hear. Yeah, well, he forgot the part that during that time he wanted to move us to Michigan to follow Steve. Y'all know what the weather is in Michigan right now? I'm like, <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't going to Michigan. So I prayed harder. Um, so, no, I knew that after meeting Pastor Bubba, that was in, and Tracy, that was in the beginning of 2000, February 2000. And so Virginia was little. I mean, and, uh, and so, so we met Pastor Bubba and Tracy. And I knew that I was like, you know what, God, I felt that, you know what, God, there's a connection there. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to believe that God will move us closer to my family. Because I wanted to move closer to my family. And so, you know, I said, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray, and, you know, and I'm going to pray that we're able to do ministry with Pastor Bubba and Tracy. And that's how I prayed. And I would nag. I would say, come on, let's move back home. Let's move back home. And he was like, why would God move us? Uh, you know, he's doing so, he was in youth ministry at the time over there, and he's like, why would God move us? He's doing so much. And I was like, I'm not feeling it. And so I nagged. And the more I nagged, the more he would resist. Because I was like, come on, let's move. Let's move. And he's like, no, we're not going. And I remember God just told me, he said, shut up. Shut up and pray. And look, that was really hard for me. <laughs> that was really hard for me because I like to talk. <laughs> and so I did. I shut up and I prayed. And so that was from February 2000, and we moved November 2001. So that was a whole year and a half that I prayed. And he had no idea. But this is the deal is that, I knew that I couldn't change him. I knew that I couldn't make him move because the more I would try, the more he would resist me. So I had to trust in God that if it was for us to move, that he would speak to my husband because I knew my, God, my, my husband could hear God and hear from God. So I trust my husband, but I put my trust in God that works in my husband. So... And whenever he came and said, you know what, God wants us to move, I said, okay, let's roll two weeks later. Because I knew that it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Because I could be good at manipulating and trying to work things my way, but it wasn't me. It was God. So that's when things really started to change and develop and, and my relationship with God because he heard me and he answered my prayer. So That's good. Um, it, it was, it's good when God tells you to shut up and you do. Because, <clears throat> I mean, it works. It really does. And some of us need to learn the art of shutting up and trusting God. And so, But it's a real thing. It's a real thing because we want to see change now, and we don't want to wait on God's timing. So we'll keep nagging, and the whole time we're just stirring the coals, stirring the fire, making things worse when you need to just shut up and pray at times. You need to express what's on your heart. You need to address the issues that are in front of you. But the whole time, you're pleading with the Father to do an incredible work. You see, the crazy thing in all of this is that I thought I was growing and Cheryl wasn't. But what you just heard was she was leading the family and I wasn't. Little Miss didn't read her Bible. Little Miss didn't go to a Bible study. Little Miss, I didn't think she was growing. The whole time, she was growing. She was the spiritual leader of our family, but I was the one reading my Bible. I was the one that had a word. I was the one that was doing this and doing that. I thought I was growing, but what I really did is I became prideful and arrogance in my spiritual growth because I thought she needed to be like me. Now, how humble is that? I was like, baby, you need to be like me, all this. And she was like, what, you want me to be more prideful? I thought I was the man leading the family, the spiritual ahead, all these things. And I wasn't even leading the family right. She was behind the scenes growing with Jesus. Now, Cheryl didn't have somebody to teach her how to study the Bible. She didn't have somebody to quote-unquote, disciple her, but she fell in love with a real Jesus, and she would talk 
to a real Jesus when she prayed and real Jesus was talking back to her and, and, and she had the direction for our family. And what was crazy was she never told me that's what she was praying about. You see, that's what a good wife does. A good wife prays behind the scenes and then prays for you. And then when God finally tells you or you're finally not prideful enough to listen and you hear from God and you go, hey, I believe God wants us to move to be with Pastor Bubba and them. And she goes, oh, that's a good thing, baby. (laughs) And then later she goes, you know, before you get too prideful, I prayed for two years for that to happen. I was like, really? You did? She let me have all the glory. But behind the scenes, she was the one pleading with the father. Are you seeing this? The two become one flesh. If we're one flesh, how can one outgrow the other? My right side of my body cannot outgrow the left side. If I eat bluebell, I'm going to get completely round. Not half round. Like one side, you're going to say, oh, you've been eating that bluebell. Look your right side. No, it ain't going to be nothing like that. It, the whole thing grows together. Are you hearing me? I can't grow faster than she can grow. I can't. We're going to grow different. Our walk with Jesus is different, but we're both growing together. We're one flesh. Are you seeing this this morning? Now, I want to show you something on this third point, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. You getting something yet? Okay, maybe not. I just opened my Bible so I can. It's okay. I should have talked about that. So point number three. So let's let's back it up. Point number one is is don't hold my, my past against me. Point number two is can we talk? Point number three is this. We need the Holy Spirit. Because here's the reality. What you see in me and Cheryl, and it's not that we're all that in a bag of chips. It's just that we're better than what we used to be. It's just we're not who we used to be. What you see here is the results of the Holy Spirit working inside of us. So Ephesians chapter 5, I want to show you this. If you ever get in a fight in your marriage, you need to take a time out. You both need to open up Ephesians chapter 5 and go down to verse 21 and start reading. I don't know what happened. So let's go to verse 21 and look at this real quick. Verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul starts out by saying you need to submit to one another. Not because either one of you deserves the other one to submit to you, but because of Christ. You're gonna su- I'm going to submit to Cheryl. She's going to submit to me because of Christ. Okay? So then verse 22. This is, this is women's favorite verse. And this is the only verse that men preach. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Most men don't know the rest of the Bible. But they will quote that verse like a full gospel preacher. You get into a fight and the man gets anointed all of a sudden. The Lord said in Ephesians that the woman is supposed to submit. So woman... By the word of God, submit. You laughing, but you know it's true. We'll throw that up in the middle of a fight. And let me tell you something, that doesn't ever put a fight out. It's never worked for me. This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands. Watch this. In everything. Say everything. everything. Say it with a gospel in you. Everything. everything. Wives, submit to your husbands in everything. Poor women. All you guys are nudging your wives. See, told you we had to come to church today. Best message that pastor ever preached. Got you straight all up in one Sunday. You, you think it's bad for the wives? Let me show you about the men. 
verse 25. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. Women have to submit. Men have to die. Amen. Women, you have to submit, and that sounds horrible, but men have to die. We are called to lay our lives down for you. Lay our lives down for our women like Jesus laid his life down for the church because he loved the church so much that he, he walked to the cross. Are you with me? He let them arrest him. He gave his life up for his bride, the church. And there's more to it. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. <laughs> By loving my wife, I'm showing love for myself. Jesus died on the cross and he laid his life down for the church to present the church as a beautiful bride without spot or blemish. Watch this. If you don't like what your spouse looks like, men, what are you washing her with? What are you speaking over her? Because whatever she is, according to Ephesians chapter 5, is the result of you laying your life down or not. <laughs> that was a good message. If I don't like what I see in Cheryl, because you've heard me say this, every time we get in a fight, I storm out of the bedroom in my croissants, and I go to the living room. You just had to get that visual. And I go to the living room, and I get on my knees before God. I say, Lord, you better straighten that hard-headed woman out. You gave her to me, and now you fix her. She's bullheaded, Lord. Change her. And within 20 minutes, I'm on my face crying out. I go, Lord, please forgive me. I've been, I've been a horrible leader, Lord. Lord, please help me. Every time. I don't leave the bedroom no more. I don't win. He's never said, okay, I'm going to change her this time. He's never said that. It's always, I'm the one down there crying. She's sleeping. How about that? You like that a little too much. <laughs> so if I don't like what I see, I'm responsible to change it. But what if she don't change? Keep going. You're not dead yet. Keep going. Keep praying. Keep pushing. Keep going. Keep leading. Humble yourself. Ask God for help. Ask for wisdom. Get around some people that can help you have a better marriage. You want me to tell you? I can tell you how your marriage is going to end up by the people you hang out with. You hang out with some folks with some bad marriages, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to start having some problems. You better get around some folks that got a good marriage and say, you know what? I need to get a little bit of what they got. Amen? So as the scripture says, verse 31, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. By the way, he said very clearly to leave your father and your mother. If your mom and dad still in your marriage, it's time for them to go. I'll say it again. If mom and dad is still in your marriage and if your mom and dad here and you're still in your kid's marriage, you need to get out. Just saying. 
You need to let your kids be married. Or you need to get, get away from your parents and have your own marriage. But he says this. He says, leaves his wife and are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the, new, of the way Christ and the church are one. So watch this. I'm going to wrap it up with this. Your marriage preaches. It's preaching something. It's either preaching the end of that verse where it says your marriage is an illustration of the church's relationship with Jesus or you're preaching something totally different. What is your marriage preaching? Is your marriage preaching to your friends that we're solely sold out, completely sold out to God? We're living and breathing for one another and, for, and to serve God and, we're, and God's producing fruit in us. And it's not about me anymore, but it's about us now. Is that what your, your marriage is like? Because if that's what it's like, then you're preaching the gospel to people about Jesus. Amen? The other reason you need to do this is because if you've got some kids, they're going to need something to take off from. Are they going to take off from an individual type of marriage where you got two individuals that live together? Are they going to take off from a marriage where the two have become one? My little girls, I want them to look for somebody like their daddy. Now, they ain't going to find nobody like this, but I just want them to look for somebody like me. I'm unique. They're going to kill me for that one. I want my little boy to look for somebody like his mama. Amen? I want him to get his example of how to be a husband from his dad. They hear the fights, man. The walls ain't that thick. But they also see the after fight. They also see the hugging and the smooching and the chasing and everything else that goes on the house that they say is sick right now. And that's good. They need to keep seeing it as sick until they get married. And then they can catch the sickness only after they get married. <laughs> 